Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. Uh, man, I'm excited about this season. Uh, next Sunday, we're closing out this series on Ecclesiastes. And so I uh, hope this has been a, a helpful and encouraging series. And then of course, uh, the following Sunday is Easter on the field. How many of you guys have already invited somebody to come to Easter on the field? Let me see some hands. Anybody? All right. So we've got some work to do. You got two more weeks. We gotta invite some friends. We gotta invite some neighbors. Uh, This is going to be an incredible day. I hope you're praying about uh, what God is gonna do. Pray that God saves and shows up in a powerful way. Pray that we have good weather. And uh, we're excited. God's gonna do some incredible things. Um, If you have your Bibles, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We're gonna be in chapter 12 and chapter 11 today. If you didn't know uh, this past a week, I celebrated a birthday. It was my 44th birthday. And, um, you know, when you turn 40, birthdays are different. Amen to that? Uh, they're just different. You know, when you're, when you're younger, when you're a kid, birthdays are awesome. You get good gifts, you get fun gifts, you know, you, you get video games and all that kind of stuff. When, you, when you're in your 40s, I got plates. <laughs> plates. And uh, what's sad about that is that I was really excited about these plates. Like they, they're incredible plates, they're for grilling and, and it's just uh, one of those things that when you turn 40, you get excited about. But uh, certainly birthdays are different when you turn uh, 40 and, and uh, your body's different too. Things start to change, you know? Uh, body's changing, losing hair on your head, start growing hair in all kinds of other places, right? Um, you get the random hair growing out of the side of your neck or uh, off your shoulder or something like that. You're one day, you're like, honey, I, something's tickling my neck. Is my tag on my shirt in, in the wrong place? And she's like, no, it's a hair, honey. Oh, can you get it? It's attached. <laughs> the Amazon rainforest is growing on your neck, honey. It's like uh, hair's just kind of growing everywhere, right? And you know, you've got you got the eyebrow hair, which is just one of those things. This is just kind of weird. Uh, you'll wake up one day and all of a sudden you've got this big hair sticking out, flapping around. <laughs> you know? It's like you're trying to have a conversation with somebody, but they can't really focus on you because this thing is flapping around. And so at night you, you pull it, but then in the morning, five more grow in its place. You can't stop it. Uh, you've got the ear hair going on, right? You got the ear hair going on. I remember the first time uh, I realized I had ear hair. Um, so I was, I was getting my hair cut, normal day, life was good, uh, sun was out, uh, the Lord was, was my savior and I was having an enjoyable day. Uh, she's you know, doing the side of my head, it's like talking, normal, 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 all of a sudden, right on my ear. I'm like, whoa, what was that? What are you doing? She's like, oh, well, you just had a couple of hairs. I'm like, well, you gotta warn me. Like, shouldn't we call a doctor? Is there an x-ray to be taken? What's happening right now? It's very violating and changing of, of my life. And so you got, the, you got the ear hair going on and then, then, then you got the nose hair. We all know about the nose hair. I remember my first nose hair. It was in my 30s. I was like, oh, cute. I got a nose hair, right? What do you gotta do? Well, you gotta get the tweezers out. And uh, then you discover the most painful thing in the history of mankind. It's like we, men, this is the greatest pain that we've ever experienced before, right? And so uh, I remember that Christmas after that experience, my wife got me my first pair of electric nose hair trimmers, right? It was cute, it was funny, everybody laughed. And uh, I, I, I wish that those still worked. Now I need a chainsaw, it's like, you know? 
Oh, your body changes. Um, life is, is different as you get older. Um, and nobody really prepares you for this. Nobody really teaches us how to uh, get ready uh, for all the changes that come. But when you hit 40, it's kind of a milestone, right? It's kind of one of those midlife kind of uh, milestones where you start to experience and recognize some of the gaps in your life. And, you know, you recognize maybe I'm not what I had hoped to be and I'm not where I wanted to be. And, and so that starts to happen a little bit and uh, relationships are changing. You know, your, your, your relationship with your wife changes and your kids don't need you as much and they start to leave. And so the empty nest kind of starts to uh, roll and, and, and into your life. And, and so a lot of changes happening. And, and uh, this is why a lot of people go through what's called a midlife crisis. And, and uh, the midlife uh, crisis is that time where people struggle with the fact that half their life is over. And uh, when they uh, are in that season, they can think about that and overthink about it. And, and uh, they can kind of remember the regret, remember some of the painful moments in their life, realize that maybe it's not how they had hoped it would be. And, and so they start to adjust and make some major changes in their life because they want to feel youthful again. They want to feel important again. They want to feel alive again. We just don't like the feeling of getting older and we don't like how things change on us so quickly. But here's the good news. We don't have to worry. Most people actually don't experience a midlife crisis. In fact, psychologists actually, a lot of them, uh, don't even say it's a real thing. And uh, those that do actually go through some form of a crisis, it's not because uh, they're older. It's because of some kind of uh, mental, uh, emotional kind of um, uh, adjustments and changes and breakdowns happening in various ways uh, that, that takes place. And so that's the good news for us. Not all of us are gonna do that, but I do think the pervasive belief is that the older we get, the less happy we're gonna be. We all kind of uh, subconsciously or maybe inwardly uh, think through some of that, but uh, the great news is there's a lot to look forward to and as you get older. And the great news is that there's actually some data now that actually points to that fact. Um, the data from 2019 World Happiness Report by The Economist said that Americans tend to see their happiness increase after hitting 40. How about that? It's encouraging. We didn't know that. Now we know it. There's data, right, to, to prove it. But even though we read that and we can maybe even feel that, we, we just don't like getting older and nobody teaches us how to get older. Nobody's sitting us down and saying, well, this is you know, really how you age well. This is how you can really do this in a, in a healthy, wise way. And so we struggle and we fumble and we, we, we mess up and we get angry and we're frustrated because getting older is just frustrating. Right? It doesn't matter if you're in college today or you know, if your kids are grown and gone and you're an empty nester and you're a grandparent, whatever stage of life you're in, it can be very frustrating as we get older. But what if there was some advice on getting older? What if there was some direction? What if instead of getting old and cranky, you could get old and happy? What if you could get old and gain hope? And so, Thankfully, that's exactly what Solomon talks about today. He talks about how you and I can actually age well. 
And so if you've got your Bibles in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses one through seven, we're gonna start there. And just remember, if you read this this week, kind of in preparation for the sermon, which I hope you do, uh, you probably read it and you were like, what in the world is he talking about? Well, this is poetry. And so as I go through it, I'm gonna explain it and hopefully it makes sense. He says this, Chapter 12, verse one, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Now, let me just pause here. When he says youth, um, just to give you uh, uh, some context here, he's not just saying if you're a teenager, that's where our mind goes, youth ministry, right? He's not talking to teenagers. He's talking to all of us who are getting older. So raise your hand if you're getting older, right? All of us, right? So remember also your creator in the days of your youth. You're not dead yet, so you're, you're in this category. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, right? So the evil days are the days when you will, will be in a situation where you're in bed, you can't take care of yourself, you're on your deathbed, the time is almost up. The years are drawing near, right? You're getting to that latter stage of your life. And in that latter stage, as we get older, we tend to say, I have no pleasure in them. You tend to have no pleasure in the days when you're getting older. So when you get older, you tend to get crankier and you tend to get more ornery, you tend to get a little crankety and, and uptight and, you know, that tends to happen. You get set in your ways. You're not uh, experiencing pleasure and joy. You're not finding joy in life. That's his point. As you get older, this tends to happen. You gotta watch that. Verse two, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. That's the final days. <laughs> like when the sun goes down, when the day is over, when your time on earth is over. That's how he's setting up this stage. In that day, the keeper of the house tremble. So as you get older, uh, the, the, the hand that was strong and steady now begins to tremble a bit. It, it, the, the shake begins to happen uh, physically is what he's referring to. And the strong men are bent. So as you get older, your back sometimes weakens and that's why you kind of have the, the hunching over as you get older. That's what he's uh, uh, alluding to here. Verse three, and the grinders cease because they are few. <laughs> now what's a grinder? As you get older, you have less teeth to chew your food, right? That's why we need a good oral surgeon to give us some new grinders uh, from time to time. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. So as you get older, you look through the window, your vision is dimmed, our vision is decreasing and diminishing as we get older. Verse four, and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. So not only do you not have enough teeth to chew, but now as you get older, you can't even hear yourself chew because as you get older, your hearing tends to uh, decrease as well. And the one rises up at the sound of a bird. Now, as you get older, you don't sleep as well. You get up early. When I was in college, I would sleep until one o'clock, two o'clock. You couldn't wake me up. My alarm would be blaring in my ear and it wouldn't wake me up. Uh, that tends to, tends to change as you get older. Now the bird starts to chirp, boom, you're up. You wanna take a shotgun and kill that bird. And then he says, all the daughters of the song are brought low. So as you get older, those who have good voices now 
That voice tends to kind of diminish as well. Your body is breaking down. Verse five, they are afraid also of what is high and terrors in the way. So as you get older, sometimes what tends to happen is your fear increases, right? The fears of falling down, the fears of being alone, the fear of not being able to take care of yourself, the fear of getting sick, right? The fear of death. These things tend to happen as you get older. That's what he's talking about. And then he says, the almond tree blossoms. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, take a look at this. This is a picture of an almond tree that has blossomed. Kind of looks like the Bradford pears that are all blossoming here in East Tennessee. What he is saying is, what color are they? White. So as you get older, the almond tree blossoms. You get white hair unless you dye it. And then he says, the the grasshopper drags itself along. So as you get older, uh, the idea is that you just don't get around as well, right? The knees, the back, the hips, all kind of start to happen. You drag yourself along. And then he says, desires fail. So as you get older, desires tend to fail. Sexual desire tends to, tends to uh, wane. You, you, uh, you also uh, might have a, a lack of desire to work and a lack of motivation. You, you just kind of slow down. Um, and then he says, because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Mourners go about the streets when someone goes to their eternal home. When they die, people mourn is essentially what he is saying. Verse six, before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Essentially what he's saying here, what you once thought was beautiful is now broken. You thought that life was beautiful and now it is broken. The silver cord is broken. You thought it was beautiful. The, the golden bowl was, was, was amazing and beautiful, but now it's broken and the cistern was shattered and, and water is scattering out. Life is over essentially. And so he, he alludes to the idea here and teaches us this is what happens as we get older. All of these things begin to happen. Death is final, it is certain, it is sad. We've discussed this, we've seen him talk about this. And if it ended there, we would all probably be a little depressed today. If this is where it ended, then, then, then we might be a little discouraged. Our body is breaking down, yes. Our hearing, our eyesight, physically, our body is breaking down. But should we get old and depressed because of that? Or should we get old and get hope instead? Well, to do that, let's go to chapter 11 and we'll start here in verse one and go through verse six. Here's what he says. He says, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. So you cast it and then you will find it, right? Give a portion to seven or even to eight for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves from the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. 
break this down uh, for a minute. I, I think what he is teaching us here is several things. He starts by talking about things that we don't know. And then he talks about a couple of things that we do know. And the first thing that he says is that we do know that if a cloud is full of rain, it rains. And if a tree falls, it's gonna lie there. <laughs> Thank you, Solomon. We all feel a little smarter after that one. That's what we know, right? That feels uh, amazing. But I think what he wants us to, to gain here is not just that we know some things, but that we are, are unable to know many things that are happening in life. So in verse two, he says, you know not. And in verse five, he says, you do not know some things. What are those things? I think what he wants us to accept here are the limitations to our knowledge. We have to begin to accept as we get older that there are just things that we cannot understand. And when you're young, it frustrates you. College campuses are filled with frustrated young people, right? Grasping for something to believe in and grasping for a bigger purpose in life, looking in all the wrong areas. And so as we get older, we've gotta to begin to accept our limitations. What are those limitations? Well, he says in verse two, you can't predict disaster. You can't predict disaster in your own life, just like you can't predict the weather. Now you can watch you know, the weather report, you can look at your app, you can kind of know if a hurricane is coming, they can kind of track that now, but you don't know where it's gonna ultimately hit or if it's gonna dissipate or if it's gonna get stronger. You don't know how much damage is gonna happen. We don't know really how to predict tornadoes yet. We kind of get warnings, it could happen, but, but it happens, we don't know. Tsunamis, earthquakes, we can't predict these things. And in the same way, you can't predict when disaster happens in your personal life. Then in verse five, he says, we don't understand how God forms a child in the womb. This is important. We can't comprehend everything that God does, right? And we certainly can't understand the way that the spirit of a person unites with the body of a person in the womb of a woman. That's important, especially for our culture today. A baby in the womb of a, of a mother is united with a spirit. So in our culture, is a preborn baby a person? Solomon would say, God would say, as followers of Jesus Christ who believe in the word of God, we must say 100% yes, that is a person with a spirit, right? A preborn baby is a person. Pregnancy is a miracle and abortion is murder. And so meanwhile, while we're canceling Mr. Potato Head and Peter Pan and whatever else, Dr. Seuss, millions of people are being uh, murdered in our country, right? And we have to keep that into perspective. Verse six, he says to sow your seed in the morning. So work hard, sow many seeds, and you don't know which one's gonna grow. He says, you don't know which one is gonna prosper because you can't predict it. So you gotta sow a lot. You gotta work hard. You gotta not withhold your hand, he says. So you, you gotta go to work. So here's the first point this morning. Like what he's teaching us is that we've gotta work hard so that you can give fearlessly. Work hard so that you can give fearlessly. Now, where are we seeing that? Withhold not your hand, go to work. Get up early in the morning, sow your seed. This is about working. 
Verse uh, two, he says, cast your bread on the water. It will return to you. Giving seven portions is generous. Giving eight is even more generous, he says. So the, the theme here is that we would cast our bread on the water. It would float away and it would feel like we're losing. But he says, it's gonna return to us. So, so we work hard in the morning, we sow our seeds and, 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 and then God blesses and prospers. We don't know which one he's gonna bless and prosper. So we've got to work hard, sow many seeds and then we will be uh, blessed by him. It will return to us. Now, there are a couple of different mindsets that many of us have. So you're either gonna have what they call a scarcity mindset or you'll have an abundance mindset. And depending upon what mindset you live in uh, will really determine the pathway of your life and really the, the, the trust that you have in God. If you have this abundant mindset, it's this belief that there is more than enough for everybody. It's an abundance mindset. There is enough for everybody. If you have a scarcity mindset, it's the belief that there will never be enough which results in feelings of fear, anxiety, stress. See, a scarcity mindset is always gonna have a hard time trusting in Jesus. Because if you have a scarcity mentality, then there's not enough. So if I give, I can't trust that God's gonna provide because there's not enough out there. But the abundance mindset says, God is abundantly uh, resourced. None of this belongs to me anyway. I'm not taking any of this with me. And if I am generous and I give, the God of all resources and all abundance is going to provide for all of my needs. There is way more than any of us needs. God has so much at his fingertips, we can't even comprehend the amount of resources that he has. So we get to choose. Will you live with a, a scarcity mentality and hoard and be selfish and, and fight and claw and, 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 and live this kind of lifestyle? Or will you live in abundance mentality? And oh yeah, God's given me this. I'm going to give and I'm going to be generous. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be generous because there is plenty to go around. I think Solomon is saying that our lack of knowledge shouldn't lead us to be lazy. Our lack of knowledge shouldn't lead to procrastination. It shouldn't lead to selfishness. Look again at verse four. He says, the person who observes the, the, the uh, wind won't sow. And the one who regards the clouds won't reap. What he is saying there is, if you only watch the weather report, if you observe the weather report, you're never gonna get off the couch to go sow your seed. You're, you're never gonna have the perfect weather or the perfect timing to go do something good with your life. And so don't be lazy. Don't procrastinate. Trust God. Get off your butt. Go to work. Work hard. When you invest, God blesses, makes you prosperous in certain areas. Be the, the one that would fearlessly give, right? Fearlessly has this mentality of abundance, I'm not giving begrudgingly because God loves a cheerful giver. So I'm gonna be generous and, and I'm gonna be fearless in that knowing that I serve an abundant God with abundant resources and he's going to provide for all of my needs. So we work hard and we try different investments because we don't know which ones are gonna be prosperous. And so we diversify, right? We work hard here, we start this, we, we do this, we go here. 
we're involved in many things and we watch and we see how God is actually going to bless. I've invested in some good things and I've invested into some things that didn't turn out so well and it hurt. But you live through that, you learn from that and you try and you work hard and you work your tail off and you're willing to take risk and you don't waste time blaming the government, blaming your parents, blaming your situation, your lack of education or any other reason. You get to work and you watch God work in you. I think as you get older, instead of becoming cranky and stuck in your ways, not enjoying life, you know, really starting to complain about the world and complain about your situation. Instead, you should focus on continually working hard, continually trying to be generous. And then I think you'll actually enjoy your life. You'll actually have fun in life. And I think if you're blessed enough to retire, I think the encouragement, one day when you get there, uh, those of us that are still working and some of you in the room might be there, we don't wanna just get into the habit of watching Facebook all day and watching the news all day. You'll become a miserable person and nobody will wanna be around you. <laughs> so when you talk about retirement in America, this is an American cultural concept. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, retire, move to Florida, kick up your feet and watch TV all day. That's not in the Bible. You don't retire from gospel work. You don't retire from Christianity. You don't retire from making disciples ever. So it doesn't matter if you are working at Denzo, if you are working as a teacher, if you're working your own company, whenever the day comes where you retire and you're not clocking in, clocking out from that particular job, you still have a major job to do, which is to invest your life into other people so that they know the gospel, hear the gospel, grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus. Amen? We're not going to retire from that ever. And so we can always invest in our community. You can coach Little League, you can mentor and disciple young couples. There is purpose as long as there is breath in your lungs and you're not on your deathbed, you should be serving the Lord Jesus. So work hard so that you can give fearlessly. Let's go to the next section here. Verse seven, he says, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Amen to the springtime sunshine, right? Get outside, let that vitamin D hit you. This is scientific, this is also biblical. Get out into the sunshine. Verse eight, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Uh, secondly, if you're taking notes, here's what I think he's starting off with here. He says the word rejoice, right? So rejoice in what? And I would say rejoice in the freedom of Christ and enjoy every single day. Rejoice. This is the eighth time in this book that God commands you to be joyful, that God commands you and I to rejoice in our life. And so I think it brings meaning. Now, this was written, this is an Old Testament, Old Covenant book, right? Way before, hundreds of years before Jesus is born, the Messiah. And so we interpret Old Testament books through the lens of the gospel. 
And so when we come to this, we know that our freedom in Christ gives us the opportunity to rejoice in every single day because of what Christ has done for us. That's why the book of Romans chapter eight, verse one says, there is therefore, now that we're in Christ, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Some of us aren't walking in freedom today. Sin still has its claws in you. Now we're always gonna make mistakes, we're always gonna have sin and we're always gonna be dealing with that. But the big picture idea here is that Christ has given you the freedom to overcome whatever sin that is. He's given you the freedom to overcome the fear of death. So in Christ, there is freedom, freedom to rejoice, freedom to live our life. Look at verse nine. He says, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. So he's saying, what are you passionate about? What did God design you to do? What are you excited about? Go do it. Do it for the glory of God. Have fun with it. Enjoy your life. If you're stuck in a situation that you hate and you're not enjoying it, Look for that exit strategy and for the thing that God wants you to do, right? Because he wants us to walk in the ways of our heart, what we're passionate about, what we're gifted at doing. Now, this doesn't give us the freedom to sin, obviously. First Peter 2, 16 says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So, so we're not living in the freedom of, oh, I can sin and do whatever I want. God's already forgiven me. That's ridiculous, no, what he is saying is, if you wanna take that job, take it. If you wanna have another child, go for it. If you wanna go to that college, do it, right? What are you waiting for? Stop waiting for God to etch out his plan for you in stone tablets and sit them in your front yard. Hey, go do something for the glory of God. Stop waiting until you have things figured out and you're ready to start serving. That's an excuse. Stop, stop waiting until you get to a point in your marriage where you're gonna go to counseling and you're gonna figure this out. Like, that, that's unwise. I, I, maybe, maybe I should be stronger with it. That's dumb. <laughs> it, it's important for us to take advantage of every single moment, every single day, living in the freedom of Christ. Why? He also says, notice, verse nine, judgment is coming. So we live in freedom knowing that judgment is coming. That is a real thing, right? So we live with wisdom. We live in light of that judgment that is coming. And as followers of Christ, we're not fearful of that because we know Jesus paid our debt on the cross. Our sin is forgiven. Spirit of God now lives in us. We're called to live for him. The judgment is coming, but he's enabled us to be able to live for him. He's told us how to live for him. So in life, we are serving in ministry. We are serving him. We are loving our neighbor, the great commandment. We are loving and worshiping God, right? And we are a part of a church that is making disciples and we are doing our part. That's what he is calling us to do. So we pick our heads up, even as we get older, right? We rejoice and he says, let your heart cheer you. So third, what else does he say to do? He says rejoice, but then he says to remove. What are we removing? We're removing destructive thoughts because again, time is short. We're removing destructive thoughts in our life. Some of you have destructive thoughts that are plaguing you today. 
Look at it again in verse 10 of chapter 11. He says, remove vexation from your heart. Put away that pain. Now, your heart here is the center of your attention. It's essentially your thoughts. So he's saying, I want you to remove those painful thoughts. I want you to remove those destructive thoughts. Why? Because uh, youth is vanity. In other words, youth is, is, is a puff of smoke. You're young one day, the next day you're 40 right? It happens so quickly. Then it's 60 and and it it just moves quickly. So remove it today because your time is short. You don't have time to focus on that junk. God wants you to do something today for his glory. Stop allowing, I I don't want to just say negative thoughts. I, I think they're destructive thoughts that you're not good enough, that you're not pretty enough, that you're not smart enough, that you don't know enough about the Bible, Right? That, 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 that you're, you know, for whatever reason, we come up with these negative, we come up with these destructive thoughts. And what does the Bible teach us to do with those thoughts? Paul says to take them captive. Take your thoughts captive. And that means controlling what you allow yourself to think about. Controlling what you allow yourself to talk about with your friends. You actually, because you have the spirit of Christ within you, the power to do that, right? So you gotta start talking to yourself to take that thought captive. Now, if you talk to yourself, you gotta be careful. Don't let your lips move. They might take you away. But I talk to myself. That hits my mind. I say, Trent, I am not gonna believe that. I'm not gonna go down that road. How many of you have listened to the radio and a song comes on that you don't like? What do you do? Turn it off. Change the station. You gotta start doing that with your painful destructive thoughts. You got to turn the channel. You got to go, no, 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 no. Got to get my mind off of this. It's, it's almost like, you know, if, if your dog, I don't know if you ever watched Caesar Milan, but I'm a big, big fan. I've got all those DVDs and my dog, very obedient. If he, if he does something, all I got to do is kind of just give him a tap on the neck and just go, right? That snaps him out of it. If he's, if he's barking, if he's doing something he shouldn't do, I go, Brutus, right there, touch him on the neck. And he's like, all right. All right, Caesar says that snaps the dog out of uh, whatever destructive behavior he's doing at that, at that point. We need that too. We need to do it to ourselves. <laughs> Stop thinking that. Put it away. Take your thoughts captive. Con- don't let them control you. You have the ability to control your thoughts. Here's what Romans 12, two says. Paul says, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what? The way you think. You gotta change the way that you think about a lot of things, right? Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Um, I was sitting with my, so two of my girls this weekend and uh, they were talking about uh, just some of, some of the annoying things that happen in life. And this person, you know, pushes my buttons. And it just makes me so mad when this happens and that happens. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's push pause here. Nobody can push your buttons. The only person that can push your buttons is you. What do you mean? No, when they say that, it's very annoying. People can say stuff that's annoying to you. They can say things that are hurtful for you. But you, ma'am, you, sir, are in control of how you respond to every situation. You're in control of your attitude. You're in control of your thoughts. You're in control of your emotions. If someone's pushing your buttons, it's your fault. It's your 
issue. I can't control what buttons people try to push on me, but I can control the ones that I push for myself, right? And I'm in control of that. And so it's important that we capture those thoughts. Um, God changes the way that we think. And in marriage, that's extremely helpful, right? You make me so mad. No, you, he can't make you mad. You make yourself mad. You let that bother you. You let that happen. So start working on your thoughts. Start working on your hearts. Let God change the way that you think. And that's how you mature in your faith. Dr. Caroline Leaf says in her book, Switch On Your Brain, and I quote, she says, as we think, we change the physical nature of our brain. As we consciously direct our thinking, we can wire our toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. She's essentially saying that scientifically, thoughts in our brain are our physical cells and they look like trees under the microscope. And so when you are thinking about something, whatever it is, that becomes an actual cell in your brain. And the more you think about it, the more you activate it, the more blood supply goes there and the more it's healthy and the more that it grows. And she's saying you can actually kill that by not thinking about it. And when you stop thinking about that memory, when you stop thinking that particular thought, blood supply then decreases and eventually that cell in your brain, which is a physical cell, actually dies. That's amazing because that's exactly what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that we can change our thoughts. Here, Solomon is saying, remove those destructive behaviors so we can actually have the power to do that. Philippians 4, 8 says, think about this. Whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, think about such things. If anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about that. So you and I have the power to control our thinking. So we remove destructive thoughts because time is short. You don't have time to waste on these stupid, petty, destructive thoughts that are keeping you from serving God and doing something great for him. And then finally, he tells us to do this. Verse 12, or chapter 12, verse one, he tells us to remember what Jesus has done for you and what he's asking you to do today. Look at it again. Remember your creator. Again, we interpret this in light of the gospel in the New Testament. So we're remembering what Jesus has done for you. And we remember that the days of evil are coming But until that day, we remember what he has done for us. We remember the cross. We remember that he paid our debt. We remember that every single blessing that we have is undeserved. You don't deserve what you have today. Everything that you have. And so we remember his faithfulness to us. We remember his love and his grace to us. We remember it by reading a scripture. We remember it when we pray. That's why this is a necessary part of our daily routine because we've got to remember his grace and his love every single day. If you get outside of church, if you get outside the preaching of God's word, if you get outside of singing God's praises, if you get outside of reading the Bible, you get outside of Christian community and fellowship, those destructive thoughts grow and you forget about the work of Jesus Christ in your life and in the world. I was in the mountains this past week and the the guy that was next to us was an older man. He was in his seventies and he came out and we were just chatting and talking. And um, he said, you know, 
my kids, he was from Pittsburgh. He said, you know, my kids are all over the country now and uh, don't get to see them that much. They're, they're just really busy. And he said, you know, when you get older, you just become an accessory. And my heart just kind of broke, <laughs> you know? So I tried to encourage him a little bit and try to talk him through that and whatever brief conversation I could have. But I think the truth is a lot of times as you get older, that might be a mentality that we take. We, we think that, ah, oh, you know, I'm just here. I don't have any purpose. You know, my kids are living their life. And you do have to remember that as you get older, your, ki- your kids are gonna live their life just like you lived yours, 100 miles an hour. And it may not necessarily be they don't wanna be around you or they don't love you or whatever. They're just, they're just in the grind of, of this world, right? And as a parent, you're still the initiator. You're still the leader. So dads, it's, it's really important that you take the initiative to send the text message, to call, to go over, to hang out, to be in their life, to travel and go see them and not expect them to come see you all the time. Like they got, they, they're doing life. It's, it's really, I would encourage you to take that initiative and and recognize and realize as, as we look at the word of God here today that time is short. I love the NCAA tournament. This is, this is just like the greatest time of the year for me, filling out the bracket. Used to be Thursday and Friday, it was a little different. I got them okay, I, I, I handled it. It's a little challenging. Still love to get the TVs out, watching three or four games at a time. And thing about it I love though, is that every single game you watch ends. And, and, and that's sad. The whole tournament's gonna end, right? There's two 20-minute halves. And even, even though towards the end of the game, it seems like that last 30 seconds lasts like 30 minutes. As my wife always says, timeouts, people getting fouled, all that kind of stuff. It's still amazing. But eventually that clock goes to double zero. The game ends. No matter if you win or you lose the game, it's still over. The truth is every single one of us here today is on the clock. That clock is ticking down and we don't know when our time is gonna be up. But we can know that instead of getting older and depressed, we can get older and gain hope. We can get older and gain happiness. Every single person in the room today, we've gotta be ready for that day though. You've gotta be ready for that day. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to him or are you still doing it your way? See, that's the first step. You you will get bitter and angry as you get older because everything is meaningless in life apart from Jesus. With Jesus, everything has meaning. And so we remember today what he's asking us to do. He's asking you to work hard so that you can be generous, not selfish. He's asking you to rejoice in the freedom of Christ. Enjoy your life today. He's asking you to remove those destructive thoughts because time is short. You don't have time for all of that mess. Yeah, our bodies are changing. Yeah, we're getting older. Things are different, but we can have hope today. We can get old and we can gain hope because we have the freedom of Christ within us. It's not the life that I live. No, it's the life of the spirit of Christ living within me that gives us the power to do this. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, We ask that today you would open our hearts and ears and allow us to embrace this truth today, God, that 
that there is hope in old age, a lot of it. We're never done. And we have purpose and we have a mission that you are calling us to do. And Father, we're praying now that you would encourage us with that, that we are not done, that you are not through, that there is hope, there is grace, there is love, there is purpose in our day today and in every day forward. And we're gonna put away destructive thoughts and we're gonna put on the attitude of Christ. And so no matter how old we are today, Lord, help us to embrace that and live our light in hope of the gospel. And Lord, we don't want to miss it. I pray that nobody in this room would miss the blessings, the opportunities to sow into this world, the work of the gospel and see you grow it. And we don't know how you're gonna do that. So God, we're gonna do it well. We're gonna do it with all of our might, God. Don't let us miss it. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text FC Decision to 97000, or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.